Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show, sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management. Great to be here talking about uh, investments, the economy. Uh, great start of the show today. We're going to talk about the CPI that came out uh, this week. Talk about uh, dividends from stocks. Also, two NFL ratings. And also with me is Chase Hey there. Good to be here. Uh, always, too, we're here to take your calls. Last week, we didn't get around to it because we had all those projections for the year, yes. so we only got to take a couple. But this week, we are going to be taking calls in that back half of the show. You want to join in, got a question about a stock. Again, we still think 2023, there's a lot of opportunities to find good investments, and you could have a good year with the right stocks. So you want to join in. Phone number 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. 7-3. And, and Chase, great start to the year. Uh, I would love to tell what our performance is up year today. It is, uh, I would say, one of our best starts in quite a while year today. And I think, as I said, 2023 is going to be a great year. So uh, stay tuned. And this is the time, too. We, we've, we've got the workshop coming up uh, this Thursday. Uh, you don't know what to do. You're still stuck. You're thinking, oh, you know, things aren't going to be good. Uh, this is why we do the workshop to to really show you how to invest money, show you how we invest money, talk about the economy. We got some new charts to actually show people why 2023 is going to be a great year. But you got to know what you're doing. And unless you come to the workshop on Thursday the 19th in Scripps Ranch, you won't know what to do. You'll lose the whole year. Sign up for the workshop. It is free. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com or call the office 858 Five four six four three zero six. That's eight five eight five four six four three zero six. I think Brianna is taking that. Yep. Yeah. So Brianna will take those those calls there. But let's let's talk about the uh, CPI, the Consumer Price Index. Uh, as anticipated, the CPI report showed a deceleration in inflation as the index gained six point five percent for the twelve months ending in December. Now this compares to seven point one percent in the month of November and the peak of 9.1% in the month of June. Areas that remained extremely elevated include eggs up over 59.9% over the last 12 months, fuel oil was up 41.5%, airfare was up 28.5%. There are some areas that actually showed year-over-year declines with televisions falling 14.4%. Love this one. Used cars and trucks were down 8.8%, and beef and veal were down 3.1%. Bacon and related products were down 3.7%. Gasoline, down 2%. And gas prices have declined substantially and were a major contributor to the month-over-month decline of 0.1% for the CPI. I do worry, however, as energy prices could struggle to maintain these levels as China reopens and the U.S. no longer releases oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve there. The other thing, too, is shelter continues to be a major problem as it rose 7.5% compared to the prior year. This continues to weigh heavily on the report as it occupies a weighting of around 33%, with close to 8% coming from rents and 24% coming from private housing. I do believe with the affordability issues, this growth weight 
will slow as the year progresses. I believe inflation will continue on its deceleration path and will maintain a level of around 4 to 6% in 2023. It's also important to point out that the Fed prefers to use a measure known as the PCE, and that will be released on January 27th. It has appeared that this report has continued to come in lower than the CPI. Good examples here, November PCE was 5.5% when CPI was 7.1%. October PCE was 6.1% when CPI was 7.7%. And then in September, PCE was 6.3% when CPI was 8.2%. So if that trend holds, we could see a PCE number that actually has a 4 at the front end of it. While that's still a concern, I believe inflation, again, will be a much smaller problem in 2023. And Chase, let's talk about this because this is what, what really hurt the market uh, yeah. last year. And we, we did talk about in the summertime that uh, we saw signals, again, corn, wheat, soybean, lumber. That energy. Energy that were starting to fall that would pass on through. Well, I'm not seeing anything reversing that. I'm actually seeing more of the same to where the supply is actually increasing. Uh, the demand has not increased. Um, I think we can get to a level that come mid-year, we can see inflation maybe a three to four percent range. Yeah, and, and again, that that PCE, I'm going to be very interested to watch that number because yeah. I. And you hear again the, the talking heads on the news. Oh well, the inflation rate is still more than three times the Fed target. Well, but you're 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 comparing the Fed target to the CPI. Yes. Not the PCE. And don't get me wrong, 4%, still not good. (laughs) Still two times what they're looking for, but not that 6% level that the the talking heads are looking at. So you have to be very careful when you're looking at these numbers. And I did want to point out the energy side of the equation as well, is we think energy is going to go back up because I I just see there's a lot of demand factors. The supply factor hasn't been fixed. But the issue is, well, I guess it's not really an issue. It's a positive is energy was so high last year that you're not going to see, again, a 50% spike in energy like we saw last year to drive that CPI higher. And businesses have already dealt with those higher energy costs and tried to pass it on to the consumers. So I don't think they're going to have to necessarily change prices as much due to Mm -hmm. energy spikes. I think a lot of that's already been baked into their business plans. So I think the energy is not going to be as problematic. And also, too, it's not going to be a benefit as it was this last month but I just don't see it being the big problem it was in 2022. There's some good news on energy as well. This past week, I was reading that there's fracking companies that are actually increasing fracking with more oil being produced, which is a big positive because if we can get that supply up, that would mean that we wouldn't have such a a spike. And again, I do believe oil prices will rise, but I just said not to where they were before. And this is so important because it all comes back to interest rates. Are they going to raise interest rates? I think what's going to happen is that, and the other thing too that he looks at is the uh, wage growth. That also has been tapering down as well, which is a positive. So I think when they meet, they'll probably raise, I, I'm gonna say a quarter of a point, and then I think they could be done because what is happening is that what they have done has slowed inflation, but yet supplies are still being positive. So so I think that that's another reason too. I think this will be a great year, and if you're sitting on the sidelines and you're worried You've already missed, you know, a good percent of, of uh, more value investors, but you already missed a good percent of uh, growth. But it's still going to be a good year. So don't sit on the sidelines and wait for things to get better and then invest. You have to invest now before that happens. Yeah, and also, too, I wanted to, again, point out, I, I think the CPI is, is kind of silly. And, and just the headline number, I guess, is I'm going to say is kind of silly just to look at. And, and we tell people, you have to look at everything. Don't yeah. just look at the headline number because 
it's still important to look at. But the thing I wanted to point out is, again, where, where's that number? 24% comes from private housing. Mm-hmm. What is that? It's the owner's equivalent rent is how it's calculated. Well, just because your owner's equivalent rent went up doesn't mean your mortgage payment has gone up. So your CPI, like your inflation rate, yeah. has not gone up on housing, but it's calculated that it's gone up. That is such a silly thing because it's not impacting the economy. Now, we were talking about this, how no measure is going to be perfect. Right. Don't get me wrong. But again, look at the, the math behind that. How would an owner's equivalent rate, rate rent actually impact their spending behavior because their mortgage payment has not gone up at all? That doesn't actually impact right. their CPI, but it shows up in the CPI report. And we always tell people, you have to look at the whole picture because a lot of times people are like, oh, I look at the core CPI. Well, but energy is going to impact how businesses respond yeah. to raising in, uh, their prices down the road as well. So understanding the whole picture is so important. Don't just kind of follow the news and follow the headlines. We've talked about this a lot. It's a very dangerous path for the individual investor. And, and I think uh, kind of taking on to what you were saying there, I always come back to the personal price index, your, your own personal one. Because again, if you own a home, it's not really affecting you. But then People will focus on the negative side, like, oh, you, you know, the cost of eggs are up and 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 uh, bread is up and so forth. Yeah, but we just mentioned a couple of things that are actually down. Uh, beef, veal, uh, bacon, uh, things are actually coming down. So you got to look at what you're going to buy. So you go to the grocery store, don't buy the more expensive things. Buy the other things. Maybe, a, uh, I don't know, what. well, eggs. Maybe not buy eggs. Uh, buy bacon instead. <laughs> you know, so, and the thing... And I haven't done it yet. I keep saying I'm going to do it. I want to look more into the bird flu. I believe that is changing course now. And I think that we lost like, I want to say 40 million. I think million. it's the worst ever. Yeah, I think we lost like 40 million birds. Well, if that is over now, then we're now going to have, I, I don't know how long it takes. I'm not a farmer, how long it takes to grow a bird. But eventually that's going to subside and all of a sudden things will come back down again. Yeah. So. Yeah. And the other thing you have to realize as well is how it impacts different parts of the CPI. Uh, one thing I was reading as well is you, you got to think about baking. Well, what do a lot of bakers use when they're making their pastries? Eggs. Eggs. Yeah. So now that's going to impact probably baked goods for the next several months because they've had to pay more for their eggs. Well, they're not necessarily going to increase their prices 59% right, right. away, <laughs> but they're going to have to increase prices steadily. So that's going to impact that part of the CPI report, I think, for the next several months because they've had to deal with these rising costs. Just as I, as I was talking about with energy, how energy went way up, you're still seeing a lot of transportation companies having to raise prices because they're trying to recoup those lost earnings that came from the higher cost of energy. I think you're going to see the same thing with the higher cost of eggs. Well, who uses eggs? What's going to impact future inflation for those products as well? Yes. And and and, and we're watching it closely. There's a lot of the PPI. We can talk about that. Uh, the job growth, what's going on there. So there's many different factors that we look at to say that, yes, this is a great year and we'll keep you posted on that here uh, with what we do. Also, Joe, let's kind of move on here. We, did, we spent a lot of time on that CPI, very important, but uh, let's move on to uh, stocks and dividends because at our investment firm, we like to invest in companies that pay and raise their dividends over time. We're happy to say that in 2022, the S&P 500 companies paid approximately $561 billion in dividends. That's up from $511 billion one year ago. It's also worth noting that 373 companies in the S&P 500 increased their dividends in 2022 
about 20 more than the 353 that increased dividends in 2021. And also, too, another benefit for shareholders is stock buybacks, which was about $960 billion in 2022. Uh, unfortunately, we believe this will decline somewhat because of a again, our wonderful lawmakers there in Washington that decided to add a 1% excess ta- tax, which will take effect again in January. So now that's, that's taking place on companies that are buying back their stock. And I, I'm very curious to see and hear more from companies in their conference calls. Because I think a lot of analysts that are following companies that generally do a lot of stock buybacks are going to ask that question. Well, now that there's that tax, are you going to change your capital allocation plans? And and I guess it's, I I know companies will still buy back their stock, but I think some will kind of consider like, yeah, not as much. I mean, we have a company in our portfolio, they don't pay a dividend, do a lot of stock buybacks. We have talked about, do you think now they might change and pay more of a dividend left stock buybacks? Um, it, I'd love to see that. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I mean, because I, I, nine out of 10 companies in our portfolio pay a dividend. It's one of the few that doesn't, but we like the business. Um, so we might see them come back with a dividend. So it's gonna be very interesting how companies handle it because you're, I don't say you're wasting 1%, but it, it's just a shame the government did that because there's no benefit to the companies. It actually hurt the shareholders, not the companies. And yeah, that's well, what I think is silly. Well, and what happens is you do a stock buyback. That should help your earnings. Well, it helps your earnings a little bit, but then also it hurts your earnings because now your taxes go up. Well, now you so don't it's see, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. what the heck? And, you know, I, I, I think it is important. I, I did want to kind of, again, reinforce what you said. We are value investors first. Mm-hmm. But by nature, a lot of times value companies pay dividends. So 90% of, or about 90% of the companies you invest into do pay a dividend, but we do look for value first, not just a dividend investor, because that, that value does trump the dividend. But by nature, many right. times that dividend come, comes with it as well. And uh, I was going to say, I was a very positive, uh, obviously yesterday the, the banks reported earnings, a lot of the major banks. I, I did see JP Morgan they came out and the CFO said, oh, good target for us is probably about $12 billion in stock buybacks this year. Oh, so they, they didn't mention that. Yeah, they, they said that they're looking at now things, because they, they had to pause stock buybacks last year, and now they're looking at returning to it, which tells me the economy, probably not as bad as, again, mm-hmm. many people are making it out to be. They did have to take some uh, provision for uh, losses, loan losses on the portfolio and so forth. But I think overall, if they're saying they can buy back stock for the rest of this year, I, I think that's a, a big positive for the economy. And for the workshop, did we decide to add the one about the savings that shows that, yes, the savings rate is fallen, yep. but yet the accumulated savings is still very good. So we did put that in for the workshop one. Yeah, I was going to say, we, we got a lot of good new slides for the workshop there. And a lot of times we just talk about the value investing philosophy. This time, you know, a lot of people are very hesitant on the economy, very hesitant on, oh, I don't want to invest right now. So very different for us. We're, we're actually going to include some slides on the economy and why now is a good time to invest and why we believe the economy, again, said this a lot, not going to be great, but not going to be as bad as I think many people fear. Right, right. And, and, and so important that, that, again, you don't miss this, and we're going to show you why not to miss it, but very important to invest in the right things as well. Because there's, there's going to be th- things this year that think people think are going to do well, and I'm sorry, they're not going to do well. Yep. So that's why very important. And, and since we talked about the workshop, it's going to be this, <laughs> thir- this Thursday at uh, uh, 6 o'clock in Scripps Ranch. Uh, that's the 19th. It is free. Uh, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting investing. 2000.com. Well, let's talk about the NFL because the ratings were down about 3% 
from a year earlier hurt by the Thursday night football games on Amazon. Uh, Nielsen ratings said viewership fell to 9.6 million viewers that streamed on Amazon during those Thursday night games. And that was a large decline from the 16.2 million viewers last year when the game was on Fox, NFL Network, and Amazon. There could be a problem with advertisers who guaranteed by Amazon they would average 12.6 million viewers per game as they they definitely missed that mark and also for comparison normally sunday afternoon game viewership is around 19 million viewers and and people can actually watch those on fox and cbs that's who carried the afternoon games uh, on sundays and the thing i look at here too is a lot of these streamers are pushing into and the nfl has been welcoming that is is that the right strategy right well and i was gonna say cbs uh paramount uh, do they stream? They stream they the do. games. They stream the games on the Paramount Plus, is it? They- yeah, Paramount Plus. Yeah, they, they stream it. And I, I think it's your local broadcast, so it's not like you can watch all the. It's not like the Sunday ticket where you can watch right. out-of-market games, but still, you, you can watch your, your local. I believe. I, I've never done it on Paramount Plus, but I, I'm getting the thumbs up from Frank over there. So it's your local game on Paramount Plus that, that you can watch, just like you would watch it on cable, perhaps. Do they have commercials in those, Frank? Yeah. They have commercials? Yeah, it's just like it's just like watching it on on your normal TV. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. So they, I wonder if the same commercials that you're seeing on that you see on the, the channel eight or Paramount day. sells it direct. Yeah, exactly. it should. I'm pretty sure it is the same because if it's just pulling from the cable feed, then it should your local cable feed. It should just give you the same commercials. You might get a couple of, you might get one or two like 15 right. second Paramount ads during the breaks, but other than that, it's it's pretty much the same. And I guess if you cut the cable, cut the cord as they call it, and you're just streaming, you can still see local TV by the antenna, but you're probably much cleaner view watching it on streaming on Paramount Plus. Yeah, with Paramount Plus, if you don't have cable, because we don't have cable, I know for ESPN, you need to have a cable subscription in order to watch the actual ESPN right. channels. But for Paramount Plus, you can you don't have to have cable in order to watch like your local CBS or CBS News or whatever. Yeah, I mean, this, this whole thing, things are definitely changing, and that's why we saw the decline with that. Uh, but it is the the future, this whole streaming thing, and and uh, things are changing. I think in five years, it, it, we won't see that. But I just thought it was very interesting that, that the, the viewership was down because there's a lot of people that, I mean, I do have Paramount. I've got uh, Warner Brothers Discovery, uh, HBO Max, I guess yeah. it's actually called. Um, I had those. But there's some people that still have just cable or that are older that just won't do that yet. Yeah. And I mean, it is going to be interesting because obviously we know there's been a lot of money that, that's been invested into this. Is I'm going to be very curious to see how now viewership goes. And, right. and, and I will say what one of the unfair comparisons for this number is for Amazon it was also carried on Amazon last year, but there's two other networks that were carrying the Thursday night game. So just by kind of the law of numbers, if you're in multiple places, you're going to see more people. But right. I think Amazon now paid more for the rights, so they would be the exclusive provider. But, you know, they got to now recoup those costs. And if viewership doesn't grow, the NFL is not going to be happy with that either. Yeah, yeah the, the NFL does want it to grow. And I, and I know that the NFL has a streaming as well. I just saw that, like, well, watch our NFL stream. I'm thinking, well, if you can stream on the NFL, which owns it, 
you can't watch that game because Amazon bought those? How's that going to work? Well, I think NFL is a lot of like playbacks and stuff. I don't think they okay. they play the actual games, the actual games, live okay. games. Yeah, because they they sell the rights to you know like Google obviously just bought all the out of market games, which is the right. Sunday ticket package that'll start I think next season. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how the NFL progresses, and you know a lot of these sports leagues are are trying different things. I know Apple's been getting involved in different um, I think soccer leagues and stuff and different. Uh, sports rights and then obviously i talk about alphabet google youtube whatever you want to call them right. <laughs> they're involved in it now and then uh you know obviously amazon's the other big player that, that's involved in it as well so the, those sports rights are now getting more and more competitors in it which is driving up the cost and you know it's going to be interesting to see now how advertisers are going to play into the space with all the streamers as well yeah, and then let me go to the phone. Number, I know we had uh, someone waiting. I look over. He uh, he uh, hung up there. So let me open the phone lines. Uh, you want to give a call for that uh, unbiased, no strings attached, formal opinion about what you want to talk about. You got a, a an investment of stock that you're looking at, saying, "Gosh, I'm not sure if this is good." We'll run over all the numbers for you. Give us a call here at the studio eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. That's eight three three. Two eight eight zero nine seven three, and and the the newsletter. Let me promote the newsletter. Then we'll go back to what we're talking about because you know we, we kind of give you a few items for the newsletter. There's other things in there that we talk about here. Uh, the remote work. We talk about the Chinese economy, the Federal Trade Commission, um, other things as well. Here we talk about the newsletter is free. It goes out every Friday, but you got to sign up for it. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. We get a lot of comments on that newsletter because people say it's really informative, quick to read. You can probably read the whole thing, and I'm going to say maybe four to five minutes and get a lot of information. And maybe you don't care about remote work, but you care about the Federal Trade Commission. So that's what it's designed for, so you can pull out what you need to know about for your situation. It is a free newsletter, again, at our website, smartinvesting2000.com. And that's right at the middle. When you go to our website, it's right in the middle. You'll see newsletter right at the top. Just click on that, and pretty easy to sign up for it. Yep. So, alrighty, phone numbers 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. And uh, Chase, I do, uh, again, the workshop because we used to do workshops every month. Yep. We now are only going to do four a year. We, we, we've become rather busy. We still like doing it. like seeing people and talking to people and doing the workshops. But if you miss this one here, we're not going to have another one until April and you're going to miss a big part of, of investing. Uh, and we, we show you how we come up with our target sell price. We show you uh, how to look at companies that are strong businesses, how to make sure that you're not, and people love dividends, but how to make sure those dividends will, will stay and so forth. So these are things that you want to look at. You had something you were going to say too about the workshop, and I forget what else you remember. What oh, was? It, was, it was just again, because Right now, we think it is a great time to invest. Right. A lot of times, we talk again about the overarching philosophy, but this time we are talking about the economy. We have some great slides that are more current about what's going on, and and again, what's going to happen with the job market? What's going to happen with the real estate market? We're talking yep. about that, and so we're, we're trying to dive down a little bit deeper and, and give you some some good details and numbers because feelings are much different than numbers yes we want to again go with the numbers and we got some great new slides in the new year so it's uh i think going to be a very beneficial workshop for yeah. for those investors and it's free uh thursday six o'clock on our website smartinvesting2000.com that's smartinvesting2000.com uh, you can also call the office at 858 
546-4306. Talk to Brianna. She'll get you signed up. And we'll see you Thursday, 6 o'clock at our office in Scopes Ranch for the Smart Investing Workshop. All right. The phone number is 833-288-0973. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Ted. Ted, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning, guys. Good morning. Uh, I own a, a bunch of Qualcomm. I'd like to buy some more. What do the numbers look like? Okay. Now, when you say you own a bunch of Qualcomm, percentage-wise, how much does it make up in your portfolio? Oh, maybe 12%. Okay. I mean, that's that's not too bad. It's probably at the higher end we'd be at. Uh, and, uh, and I say that, I mean, we're going to look at the numbers here for you. But I did see something that was a little bit disconcerting for me, and that's Apple is apparently going to be doing even more in-house with their chips, which is going to hurt Qualcomm as well. So just kind of let you know on that. I will say, too, though, I know Qualcomm has some patents that they get the licensing rather than actually producing it. So they still might have to pay a licensing fee to Qualcomm. And that's kind of the double-edged sword, I would say, with Qualcomm uh, is they have to fight to protect those patents a lot. And... One company that's got a lot of money is Apple. (laughs) (laughs) And Apple usually wins, unfortunately. um, Let's look at the numbers to see if it is uh, worth going more and adding to it here for Ted. Coming again, it's Qualcomm. Their symbol is QCOM. They're in the semiconductors industry. Not much flowed on at 1.2%. Surprised only 75% institutional owned. P.E. ratio looking pretty good, 10.5 versus 18. Price of sales, 3.1 versus 4.2. Price to book value, 24. The initial is at 354, and price of cash flow is on the higher side, 15 <clears throat> versus 12.8. Now, the earnings over the last year up 30.7%, not quite as good as the industry up, uh, what did it go, 43%. Uh, we do see a five-year estimated growth rate. Well, this is just, a, I, I, I'm surprised on this. For, for Qualcomm, a five-year earnings growth rate from the analysts is a negative 7.5. The industry is a positive 9.8. So, would 12% my portfolio and uh, looking at buying more, I'd want to know why they think the growth is going to go down. That, that's very surprising to me. Uh, they do pay a dividend 2.5%, use about 25% of their earnings to pay that out. Uh, they pay that dividend for 10 years in a row. We do see on the balance sheet, current ratio 1.8 versus 2.8, debt to equity 0.9 versus 0.6, so the balance sheet looks fine. Net profit margin 293 versus 23.5, that's a positive. <clears throat> Return on equity, 71.8 versus 27.6. I think about looking at the balance sheet, probably their equity is very low. That's why they return on equity so high. And then return on invested capital is also 44.9 versus 20.3. Jace, what do you got? And I think their equity is really low as well is because they bought back a lot of stock over the years, so that's <laughs> just naturally reduced that equity. But current price for Qualcomm, $120.94, 52-week high, $192.10, the low, $101.93, already up about 9.4% this year, but over the last one-year time frame, they are still down 33.2%. If I go forward to September 2024, looks like they report on a fiscal year rather than a calendar year. I do see estimated earnings per share of $12.34. That would give us a target sell price of $204.00. And 84 cents. So, I mean, the valuations on it look really good, Ted. I'll, I'll tell you one thing that concerns me is having 12% in your portfolio. I don't necessarily know if I would sell, but I, I don't think I would buy anymore because that that would, I think, over-concentrate you. No matter how good the numbers look on Qualcomm, no matter how good the business is, right. I still get <clears throat> nervous. And especially with a company like Qualcomm, we held it a few years ago. 
was at that time, remember, they had a lot of business in China. And if you looked at their income statement, that's where a lot of the revenue came from. And they're trying to, again, protect those licenses. And one thing that just scares the heck out of me is China says, <laughs> I don't care that it's your patented license. We're China. We do what we want. Yeah, we, we don't recognize your U.S. courts. I mean, we'll do whatever we want as China. Yeah. And I know there's like a, a world organization, but China doesn't really care. And I, and I mean, Qualcomm's done a great job for, what, 20, 30, 40 years. Um, but I am concerned when I saw that. I was shocked to see that negative five-year growth rate from the analysts. I do see over the last 90 days, the earnings are down 7.3%. So so I like Qualcomm. Again, it looks like a pretty good buy at this level, but I'd be very careful about being over-concentrated into it. You might even want to pair back a little bit on that uh, because there are some other good buys out there. So, uh, Ted, probably not quite what you wanted to hear, but we're trying to look at the numbers and be, uh, be unbiased here for you. Yeah, and it, honestly, Ted, if you own nothing in it, I think I would, yeah, maybe it makes sense to buy it, but having 12%, that, that's just my, my big fallback on it there. Yeah, because if it just pulls back, and you you have seen a big pullback on it, but if it continues to pull back, uh, Ted, let me ask you, so when I was at the high, was it a higher percent of your portfolio? Ted? Uh, no. No? Okay. I mean, be, because it, it, what was the high, 190 or something? Yeah. Now it's 120. So if, if that means I guess your whole portfolio came down, uh, so since it's still at 12%, but yeah, I mean, I, I like the company, you know, I, I always want to say yes on Qualcomm, but I, I, I gotta say, I got some things that concern me there. Seven and a half percent, five year estimated growth decline, not increase. And I, I will say sometimes on that five year growth rate is, um, not necessarily something I always want to look at. I, it makes right. me question things, but because right now I look at their growth from 2023 to 2024, earnings are growing again. So it could be based off of last year, and then they're taking a dip this year. They're kind of taking a step back to go forward again right. because this year they're following, and then I see growth next year as well. So it's you got to understand that growth rate. I, I'm not too concerned about that, honestly. I'm more concerned about China and the over concentration. The reason why it concerns me is it means analysts are thinking something different. Yeah, they might have a growth for this year maybe next year but there's something that's changing because that's yeah. never been the industry's at 9.8 positive so there's some concerns that analysts are having that that's why i look at and like we always say it's not one number that's why we go yeah. over many numbers and that's why it takes us 15 20 hours to buy a company because we look at all these different things so just to kind of and again there's no clear answer here for you ted but uh i i would feel a little bit concerned being at 12 percent holding in my portfolio already Okay, that uh, that sounds good. Maybe I can uh, point a few stocks in another area. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, kind of diversify a little bit. All righty. Thank you very much. Okay, Bye -bye. Ted. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye bye. All right, that does open the phone line eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. That's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Anthony. Anthony, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, good morning, guys. I was calling to see what you guys are thinking um, about the airlines, specifically looking at Southwest, uh, the symbol LUV. Okay. You know, it's funny. I, I was um, kind of contact a little bit here. A little bit disappointed they didn't fall further yeah. because I was kind of looking for like a fire sale, and, I, and we didn't get it. Uh, so let, let's look at uh, Southwest Airlines. I'll talk more as we talk about their symbol. LUV, uh, only 1.7% uh, float there, 76% institutional owned. The PE ratio, 27.8, sounds high, 
but the industry does not have a P.E. ratio because they don't have earnings over the last 12 months. Price to sales, one versus 0.6. Price to book value, 2.3 versus 34. That's a positive. And price to cash flow, 6.8, slightly higher than the industry at 4.9. Now, the earnings over the last year for Southwest are down 17.4%. Their sales are up 43.7%. The industry was up 52.4% on their sales. They do pay a dividend now. It used to be a very small dividend. I just looked at it. It's now 2% uh, is the payout ratio, which is uh, not the payout ratio, but the yield. That, that's actually pretty good. The balance sheet, uh, we see a current ratio 1.6 versus 0.9. That's a positive. Debt to equity 0.9 versus 3.1. And Southwest has always been a leader here with a strong balance sheet. Usually the airlines are debt heavy as shown by the debt to equity of 3.1. So I like the balance sheet still for Southwest Airlines. Net profit margin, 3.6. The industry is negative 5.8. Return equity, not that great at 7.6, but compared to the industry, negative 17.3. Jace, what do you got going forward? Yeah, so current price here for Southwest, $36.99. I see 52-week high, $50.10, and low, $30.20. Year-to-date, the stock has uh, been in rally mode, I guess I can say. It's up 10.4%. Over the last one year, it's still down about 18.8%, though, but uh, off to a good start here in 2023. So I go forward to December 2023. I do see estimated earnings per share of $3.12. That would give us a target sell price of $51.79, so uh, about a forward of 11.8 still a good valuation there and, and to be honest with you i'm i'm, I'm kind of surprised that it, it, it's gone up especially with all the problems they've had yeah. and one thing that, that i was saying that s- concerns me with southwest is what is their liability and this is something that we look at as potential liability and, and has the stock price been affected mm-hmm. because obviously they had a nightmare of a holiday season to say the very <laughs> least is there going to be any repercussions that they have to pay and, you know, when the banks had to pay money, you know, years ago, that dented the stocks heavily. I wouldn't say Southwest necessarily got dented by how awful of a performance they had in the holiday season. And I think I saw a lawsuit of like $800 million or something. That's what is listed. That's probably not what they're going to pay. They'll probably settle something out. I have seen they're giving 25000 miles and stuff. So so they, they it will cost them money, but not as much as people think it was. And I don't know if you saw it, but I got it from three different people this quote unquote pilot that wrote about how bad it was and so yeah. forth and the CEO, I think that was bogus. Yeah. I, I do not believe that because I think they still have a good management team. I read a very good thing about how difficult it was changing systems. And when you think how complex it is to run an airline with planes moving here and there, and they have backup planes in case they get stuck in New York for frost or, or the uh, weather, they just didn't have enough yeah. because it got, was worse than they expected. That's going to happen. So I like the airline. I was hoping it's going to drop to 25. We'd have jumped all over it to buy it at 25 at the current price. What is it, like 30 or something? It's like, I think it's a good buy. And also, too, very important that we talk about the economy. Yeah. Because if the economy was going to go into recession, they'd be hurt by that. Bad recession. Bad recession. But I think the economy is not going to go into recession that is a, you know mild at, at worst. And by the end of the year, it's going to be much better. And airlines do good during a good, a good time. So, so I, I, I like Southwest. I, I want to say it's a buy. Um, I just don't think we're going to buy in the portfolio. If I had to assign buy, sell, or hold to it, just based off of kind of where my initial research is at, I, th- I think I would place Southwest in a hold. I, I, I'm not. 
I'm not overly excited about it. If I had cash right now, I think I'm more excited about other areas. I, I, I don't think I would want to jump into Southwest. I think if I held it, I, I don't know necessarily if I would sell it, but I, I just, I'm not super excited. And I had to apologize. I was looking at something else when you get in the target buy uh, sell price. How much gain was there on there? Uh, it's a good gain because it's thirty six ninety nine is the current price. Fifty one seventy nine is the target sell price. So if I just do the quick math on that, that would be a gain of forty percent. Yeah, I, I I gotta say it's a buy. I, I would say it's a buy, but we won't be buying it. But I did. Some- I, I look the opportunity cost. <laughs> I, I think there's other things out there. And yeah. again, you run a concentrated portfolio, you only have so many options. If I had unlimited cash, yeah, I'd buy Southwest. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess on Monday morning we won't talk about should we buy Southwest <laughs> in the portfolio. So Anthony, I like it. I think it's I think it's worth a buy. Uh, Jason, not that thrilled about it, but uh, I, I think it's a good one. Alrighty. All right. Thank you guys. All right. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. All righty. That does open the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. And I do want to talk about the workshop coming up uh, this Thursday, the 19th at 6 o'clock in Scripps Ranch. All the things we're talking about here, we're going to go more detail for you, talk about how important the economy is. We're going to talk about the economy there for you. We're going to show you everything we do on how we invest in our companies, why we invest in the companies, and the great great thing, it's free. It doesn't cost you anything, but what you have to do, you have to sign up. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Or you can call the office, 858 546 4306. Again, that's 858 546 4306. That's for Brianna. So you can just sign up and look forward to seeing you this Thursday at 6 o'clock at the Smart Investing Workshop in Scripps Ranch. Alrighty, phone numbers again 833-288-0973. Time to talk to our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. I want to talk about this because I saw this and I, I want him to explain 529 to a Roth rollover. Harrison, what we got going on here? Hey guys, so um, last week I talked about um, one of the other provisions in this $1.7 trillion spending package, um, the RMDs age going up to 75. This week I'm going to talk about another provision of that spending package and it's uh, something that I've been getting questions about. So as far as 529 goes, um, if you have a 529, it's for education. But if you make a withdrawal that's not used for education, so a non-qualified withdrawal, um, you've got a penalty of 10% plus California imposes a 2.5% penalty um, on that withdrawal plus taxes on the federal and state side. And so those taxes and penalties are subject to the earnings that you have in that 529, again, if it's not used for education. Um, you can transfer the 529 to different family members so they can use it for education. But there can be an issue if you have leftover funds after college um, because those taxes and penalties would, in most cases, way more than offset the tax benefit you got along with the tax-free growth inside of the plan. So the provision inside of this spending package says, well, if you have unused money in that 529, you've got the ability to roll it over into a Roth IRA, which at face value, that sounds pretty good, but the devil's in the details as with anything. So here are some of the limitations that you have to work with in order to put money into that Roth. So the first thing is the 529 account needs to be open for 15 years before you're eligible to um, move any money into a Roth. You can't just open a plan you know, within the last couple of years and move it over. You have to have it for 15 years. The second thing is you can't 
roll over any contributions that you've made within the last five years. So it's got to be a well-established plan that was funded years and years ago. Um, next, rollovers can only be made for the beneficiary, not the owner of the 529 plan. So in many cases, you have a parent who's an owner of the plan, and then their kid is the beneficiary, and the parent might say, okay, well, I funded this. Can I get the money back? And no, any rollovers have to go into a Roth IRA um, for the kid or the beneficiary. Um, next, there's a lifetime cap of $35,000 that's eligible for uh, a rollover. So if your plan has more than $35,000, you're not going to be able to roll over all of that. And then lastly, and I think this is one of the, um, one of the more important ones, um, it, it's not technically a rollover. All you're able to do is use some of those funds to make um, the annual contribution to a Roth IRA. So it's still subject to the income limits, um, the earned income requirement, uh, the annual contribution limit, which in 2023 is um, $6,500 if you're under age 50. So even if you have you know $50,000 in a 529 plan, you're only going to be able to take $6,500 out of that, put it into a Roth IRA this year for your kid, and then next year do another $6,500 um, up to a lifetime cap of 35. So um, this is, you know, overall, I would say a benefit, but there's still a lot of limitations um, that, you know, are there with, with being able to actually get that money out of the 529 efficient. So I guess the saying is, but it sounds like it could be true, it probably is, because I was very excited as you kept talking, like, oh, well, okay, we can deal with that. Oh, we can deal with that. But the last one, it's like, you know, only, only what, 6,500 a year, so that if you're going to do your Roth IRA anyways, it's not you can't do an additional sixty five hundred, right? You can only use that money to Correct. put in that's your yeah. It, so Yeah, <clears throat> exactly. So it's not like you can do this and then still make your regular contribution. This is your contribution. So if you're gonna do it anyway, then yeah, it doesn't doesn't give you that much of a benefit. And you know, Harrison and I talk about this in the office and it, it just fires me up. Like I, I don't like five twenty nine plans because you look at them. The investment options are limited. Uh, the tax benefits aren't that great. And I was all excited at this initially because I'm like, wow, this actually makes yeah, sense to a 529 right. for people now because that, that's a good benefit. Because that's one of the biggest drawdowns is if you don't use it, all of a sudden the, the tax consequences far outweigh what yeah. could have happened. And what I look at here is if the government really wanted to help people, truly, the middle mm -hmm. class, the lower class, just let people open a Roth IRA for their kids and let them use it for education expenses. What's the deal? What's the problem with that? Because the issue that Harris and I discussed is 529s, they benefit the ultra wealthy and the government's not yeah. helping the people in the lower and middle class here. Just, it makes no sense. They give you all this BS and stuff about how they're helping the middle right. class. Get rid of the 529 plan. Just let people contribute to a Roth for kids and use education expenses to to have that be a tax free withdrawal. I just don't understand why they have to make it so complicated. And, and Jason, I gotta argue with it because I don't like that idea because retirement should be for retirement reasons. I think what they should do. I think they were on the something. If you're like a five year old kid, what what what? what you mean to their retirement yeah, like, plan? Like I'm saying something similar to a Roth. Oh, okay, something because I, like I, I thought, I thought you were saying that that somebody can contribute to the Roth IRA. And be able to use that for education. No, You're not saying if, that. if they want to open like a Roth IRA for their kid for educational expenses. For kid. Okay. So then right. just kind of take this one step further and let them open a Roth type account for their kid when they're two years old instead of funding a 529. Right. You fund that Roth type account 
And all of a sudden, if they get to be 20 years old and they didn't go to college, they went in the military, whatever it may be, then it becomes a Roth. The, for the child's yep. retirement. Okay, because I, I didn't want people to take away from no, their no, retirement. No, no, no. Yeah, so I don't think they would go that well. But I think they were onto something here, converting the 529 to a Roth rollover. That, that can make sense. But why, but why do you have to have all the limitations on the 529? Well, and that's what I'm saying. They need to get rid of some of those limitations because, as, as Harrison, as you pointed out, there's so many limitations. It doesn't make sense because what they should do, they can help our society be more educated with, you know, paying for education. And if you got scholarships and you're a great football player and you got, like, all these scholarships, you didn't need it. Or even academic scholarship. Yeah, yeah. Any academic, whatever it may be, you don't need that. Well, let's have somebody... Well, and I was thinking of the parent that you put all that money in there. Well, now you get to use it for your retirement. Yeah. What is wrong with that? Because we do have a retirement problem in the country. Yeah. So the government, I think they try to make things sound good. But then as as Harrison, you pointed out, you, you start ticking these things off. It's it's not good at all. And it makes it so much more complicated. Right. Just simplify it and make right. it easy so people can actually understand it. And again, the, the people in the lower middle class, they don't read through this stuff. They, they don't have the time to read through this stuff. So it's not a benefit to them ultimately. Well, and that's why we have Harrison to read through all this <laughs> stuff and point out the details. <laughs> that's why you need Harrison as financial planner. <laughs> it just fires me up if you can't tell. I'm just frustrated with all the freaking rules that come out and i'm just like if you want to help people help people you know and, and harrison uh we, we got a caller that wants to ask questions about a 529 plan can they change a beneficiary can you stay on with us and answer that question with us or, or what yeah yeah so i mean oh. you can change the beneficiary right. um really at any time to other family members so if there's a, a sibling or a cousin or something like that, you can switch over the beneficiary and then that new beneficiary can use the funds in there. Um, so a lot of times, like as Chase was saying, wealthy families will have these large 529 plans and they'll just, they'll just use it for, you know, all the grandkids or something and just kind of change the beneficiaries around and they're, they're using it almost as an endowment. But you've got to get the plan so large to be able to do that. But, you know, if you've got a case where, you know, there's $50,000 in a 529. Well, this kid used it all. Well, let's move it on to the next kid and, and so on and so forth to all those funds are used. Okay. Hey, and, and Justin, I hope that helps out. I'm, I'm getting the signal that we can't quite have you on air while the other person's on air and so forth. So I, I hope, Justin, that answered your question. We'll, we'll go to Justin after we hang up for you to make sure that's answered. But I, I think you covered that answer there for him. So, well, Harrison, uh, thank you very much. Uh, we appreciate it. We will see you a Monday morning and uh, have a great Saturday. Thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday. Okay. Bye-bye. Again, as uh, Harrison Johnson, he is our financial planner. Y you can hear the details he looks in this stuff. He loves reading these things. He loved looking at the 529 to Roth rollover and the details. This is who you need for your financial planner. You need somebody that's not just trying to sell you mutual funds or sell you annuities. You need somebody that's going to listen to you and put together the financial plan that fits you. It's a free consultation. You give him a call at the office at 858 546 4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or go to the website, smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. You'll see his name there under our team. And uh, it says meet the team. And just send him an email to set up a time to talk to him for that free consultation. All righty, phone number's here, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go out to San Diego and speak to Justin to see if his question was answered or not. Justin, you're on the Smart Investor with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, guys. Um, yeah, no, I, I understood the uh, premise of, of the changing the beneficiaries. I guess in my situation, 
I've had my 529 plan open up for my kids. I have two kids three years apart, and I have established it uh, over 15 years ago. I guess my main question on that secure or that new act that they passed was if I wanted to switch my beneficiary and do the rollover, am I allowed to? I understand the whole, you know, as far as and the reason why I created my 529 plan, only one in the first place, was my kids are uh, enough apart that I, I figured I'd only really need one, and I wasn't going to fund it over the limit. So now with this whole Roth rollover, and he added some great insight because I didn't know about uh, I thought it was the 35000 you could do it one time, so it was great to hear about that. But I would like to find out that if I did do these rollovers, could I in one year roll over the $6,500 to my daughter and then next year change the beneficiary and roll that to my son? Oh, I see. So kind of, yeah. Or I wonder, yeah, that's a good point, if you could change between beneficiaries. And I think we still have Harrison on the line. So yeah. it, if it's all right, Justin, I think we want to – Take yeah. that question, go to Harrison, and see if he can answer that for us. Yeah. Okay, Harrison? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so as far as this is one of the issues that I've been trying to find an answer on as well, because usually when you change um, the beneficiaries in a 529 plan, they the change has to be within the same generation. So you can't, like, go from a, a kid beneficiary up to a parent beneficiary and then use that to roll over into a Roth IRA, I'm assuming, is the way that it's going to kind of shake out as we get more guidance from that. Um, I think the only way this could really happen is if you're changing the beneficiaries and they're all like in the same generation. So all siblings are all cousins are kind of on that level. But right. again, I'm waiting for more guidance to come out to see um, if any of those time limits apply to that because you know with you can't roll over contributions that were made within the last five years it hasn't said anything about the timing of a beneficiary change and then rollover so i'm we're still waiting to more see more guidance on that but i'm assuming um you would be able to do rollover again as long as it's still in the same generation but i'm, I'm pretty sure you're not going to be able to change the beneficiary from a kid to a parent and then have that parent fund a roth ira but it sounds like in Justin's case, he was going from his son to his daughter back to his, which were three years apart. So it sounds right. like they might be okay there. Right. Yeah, that 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 seems like that would be fine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and what we can do, Justin, uh, you can call Harrison at the office, uh, 858-546-4306. Again, that's 858-546-4306. And if you're driving, I don't know if Justin was driving or not, he's at home, uh, very easy to Google, you know, We'll see asset management. We come up. Smart Investing 2000 is even easier to remember. Oh, that's right. Smart Investing 2000. Uh, very easy to remember. And uh, you can call Harrison that way to uh, make sure we get that answer for you. Harrison, thanks for sticking around. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. See you Monday. Okay. Sounds good. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line. 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. And Chase, we have the workshop coming up on Thursday. Uh, the 19th at 6 o'clock. Harrison does speak a little bit about uh, financial planning, what true financial planning is. And, yeah. you know, as I'm listening to him talking, there is no way that someone can manage money and be a financial planner. You're just not going to be able to do it. I mean, because I spend so much of my time reading, doing different things. He's spending his time reading things like the... the Secure the, Act. Secure Act. <laughs> 
<laughs> you said that so exciting. Like, oh, <laughs> I, I think the, he liked the, it. the summary of it was right. 20 pages. I think right. the bill, and right. the bill included a bunch of spending and other stuff. I think it was like 4,000 pages. pages. Yeah. But I mean, Harrison likes doing it. See, yeah. He likes doing that. Like we like looking at reading financial statements and, and conference calls and stuff for companies. But that's what you need. You cannot have, there is no way, no way possible you're going to get somebody that can do a good job of doing a financial plan for you and also managing money. They're not going to do a good job of that. So, well, let's go back to the calls here because we got, uh, uh, let's see, Brendan in Carlsbad. Brendan, you're on the Smart Invest Show. Brent Chase, how can we help you? Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, really enjoy the show. Um, and uh, I was curious to know what you think about Dow. Another caller had called in about it months ago, and I don't, I'm not in the industry, and I don't know enough about the company, but I've just been watching it because it looked like it was uh, performing pretty well. So I was just... Um, See him if you could if you have an update on it. Yeah, let's take a look. And Dow is one that we kind of like. It's uh, in the chemicals industry and so forth. It's just one of these clean companies. Uh, their symbol is Dow, D-O-W. Uh, they've got a nice P-E ratio, 7.6 versus 8.8. .8. Price to sales, 0.7, same as the industry. Price to book value, 5.8 versus 7.2. And price to cash flow, 5.4. This is 6.9. So I know they've done okay so far. I, I think they're up year to date, but still still pretty uh, reasonably priced. Uh, looking here, the earnings are down 7.8% for the past year. The industry is up 116 so I want to know why their earnings went down. Their sales did go up 8.1%, not quite as good as the industry growth of 9.2. What I like about Dow is they pay a 4.8% dividend, and they only use 36% of their earnings to pay that out. So that tells me they could even grow that dividend over years to come, which would be very positive. Look at the balance sheet, current ratio 1.6 versus 2.8. I'm okay with that. Uh, debt equity 0.8 versus 0.7, that's good as well. Net profit margin 9.6 versus 8.2, that's obviously better than the industry. And return on equity, very good, 31.3 versus 16.4. Well, Chase, I like what I see so far. What do you got there? Yeah, so current price here for Dow, $58.68. The 52-week high, $71.86. And the low, well, that was $42.91. I see year-to-date stocks up 16.5%, so really strong starts 2023. One-year return, it's actually up 2.9%. So uh, it's, it's done well compared, obviously, to the markets, which are still down about 13% over the one-year time frame. If I go out to December 2023, I do see estimated earnings per share of $4.22. It would give us a target sell price of $70.05. Now, that's a forward PE of about 14, close to that level. So it wouldn't necessarily be in our buy category. But one thing I would point out is we are now starting to shift into getting company earnings. Mm -hmm. And now we'll start shifting up to December 2024, where I see estimated earnings per share of $5.31. I'd wait till the company reports before I shifted out those the target sell price, obviously. But it's something to watch. Uh, I think I, I don't think I'd be a buyer at this level. Uh, it, it's uh, based off of our sell prices a little too close to it being our hold category, but it, it's worth watching. And Brendan, two things I see is I, I, I do see over the last nine days that the earnings per share estimate has fallen by almost 18%, which is uh, some reason for that, which I'm not sure what it is. The other thing too, that chemicals do depend on petroleum. And I do believe this year, we're not gonna see oil back to where it was. Right now it's hovering around, I think 70, $75 a barrel. We could see it go up to maybe 85, maybe $9 a barrel, which could be a drag on their earnings as well. So I, I would wanna see, as Chase said, wait for December 2024 earnings, see what they say there. And, and the thing I like about the chemical companies, honestly, we haven't held a chemical company in the last 10 years that, oh, I've, been, that I've been working with you. And 
I, I, I like them because you, you can't really replace chemicals. No. You know, it, it's something that we're going to need. And I, I did want to also talk again about the, the energy side of the equation is, well, what component of their earnings does that make up in, in terms of their, their costs? What, mm-hmm. How does that impact their margins? Are they carrying perhaps forward contracts on energy? Is that impacting their cash flows, their earnings, their balance sheets? So there's some questions that I'd have to look at with these chemical companies because I, I do see for 2023, their earnings are estimated to climb 34%. And then in 2024, they're estimated to jump back up 26%. That's a huge volatility in terms of their earnings. I, I would want to understand, well, why is it so volatile? That's a pretty huge discrepancy there. And, and I do see that current year, 2022, their earnings are 642 or estimated mm-hmm. to be 640. So, so they're going to decline a lot there. Um, I like the dividend. I like the company. Uh, I mean, we've got so many good companies in our portfolio that we don't have room for something like this. But I, I think if 2024 came out with good numbers and we saw maybe those earnings go back up, maybe above five, um, I would take a serious look at this. And I would want to also, too, Brendan, understand more about how much petroleum does weigh on their chemicals. What chemicals do they have? What's their big chemical that they do? Uh, because that's what I'm going to be cautious of. And it's an interesting company as well, because a lot of times I was curious if they were growing that dividend over time. But <laughs> I don't know if you remember, they, they started off as Dow and DuPont. They yeah. merged to create Dow DuPont, and then they split back out. Yeah, <laughs> so it was, it a, was hard, a crazy accounting situation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like you look back, there's no five-year data, even though this company's been around for more than five years because of the way that the, the companies have kind of changed yep. the the name and the structure over the last you know few years and i think brendan at the right price a chemical company is a great one to hold in your portfolio especially collecting that dividend yeah. and because all the changes chase talked about going from dupont to back to splitting and so forth i bet you if you looked over time you would see that these companies grow their dividends very nicely and and i would look at this as a nice you know four or five ten year hold that you would do very well the dividend and also uh the growth on the company so all right yeah that was super helpful and also really interesting so, so thanks a lot guys really well, appreciate it well brendan uh, thanks for calling if you have any other questions give us a call maybe you'll come to the workshop on uh thursday oh i'd love to i can't but i'm gonna definitely look out for one so all thanks right again. all right well brendan thanks for calling you have a good day you too. Bye. Bye-bye. All righty. Well, that pretty much wraps up the uh, show here. I do want to say one more time on that workshop, kind of told Brendan about it. It is going to be this Thursday, uh, the 19th at 6 o'clock in Scripps Ranch at our office. Uh, sitting is limited. It is free, but we're going to cover all the things we look at. I, I promise you, when you come in there, when you leave, you will learn something. You will be a smarter investor. And I mean, like, we take questions. I mean, we talk about things you probably didn't even think of. We've got slides about the economy. So it's going to show you why we're so optimistic for this year uh, in uh, 2023. Yeah, we're excited. And I was going to also point out is, that, you know, if you enjoyed the show, you missed parts of it. You can also listen to our podcast on our website. That way you can kind of go back and you, maybe you miss a little bit of a detail. Yeah, you can go back, go to smartinvesting2000.com or Apple Podcasts, your favorite podcast there. Our, our show is podcast for you to, to go back and review if you miss parts of it. Yeah, it's made by like Pandora, Spotify. It's, mm-hmm. it's all over the place. Uh, a lot of different places you can find that podcast, which is, again, great. And I've heard people try to listen to it double time. Yeah. I've heard that talk. I think you talk too <laughs> fast as well. <laughs> Don't do that. All right, this is Closing Bell. Thank you for listening to the Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free, feel free to call myself, Brent Wilsey, or Chase Wilsey at 858 Five four six four three zero six. That's eight five eight 
888-546-4306 or visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. A lot of great information about the newsletter, the client center, meet the team and so forth. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. Have a great week. So amusing to think that I did all that. And may I say, 